It's me, DJ Envy, with the word of the day. Subscribe. That's it. That's the word. The Alive Podcast Network is global streaming platform that curates the best black creative content in one spot. Just for you, tap in today for $5 in iOS, Android, and AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Finally, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. Welcome back. I am here live. You already know what it is, the Positive Deposit Podcast, where we transform minds and change lives. Um, I'm your host, Presley Nelson Jr., founder and president of this lovely organization, Positive Deposits, where we support cancer survivors of all walks, through our courageous conversations, through our community outreach and impact, and of course, fundraising. I have the pleasure of being with Matt Krim. He is the owner of Cinder. He is a survivor, a conqueror, and um, we're going to just get into his journey. And so before we get started, um, Matt, I'm going to give you the floor just to kind of introduce yourself briefly. Don't go into your story yet, but then, you know, we'll, we'll get this party started. Cool. Uh, well, it's great to be here, and, and I've heard some good things about the, about the podcast. You know, our mutual friend Everett, um, so my name is Matt, as, as Press said. Uh, I live in D.C. I've been here for 20 plus years. Uh, grew up in Maryland. Um, now I just uh, run a restaurant. I got a couple retail cigar stores and uh, live life. Hey, that's what's up, man. I uh, definitely got to get some of that barbecue. I hear a lot of great things about it. So that's um, it. Got to make it happen. And so, um, you know, let's just talk about it, man. So tell us about your journey. Um, when it deals with cancer, how old were you? You know, what was the year? What was going on? How did you find out? Yeah, so it was 20, beginning of first quarter of 2014. So, uh, you know, six and a half years ago, um, being in the cigar business, we had done a couple trips and I, uh, I had gone to Nicaragua and Mexico back to back at the beginning of the year, like February and March. And I was feeling kind of bad and, uh, you know, sick and losing weight. And I was just kind of like, man, something's not right. And what I, the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm too young. I'm 43 years old. What's, what's happening with this? Uh, so I'm, I'm like normally on a good day. I'm six foot, 165. And as I slowly whittled away to like down to about 130 pounds finally. Wow. But, you know, you're just kind of naive and ignorant because you're just, you know, a strong-minded dude who's like, yeah, I got, I got some bug. Well, the bug never went away. Um, <laughs> so finally, my girlfriend's like, dude, you basically look like a cancer patient. You got to go to the doctor. Okay. So um, I, I had a friend, a uh, friend's wife, who was a, a GI doctor at the VA hospital. And so I say, hey, you know, who would you recommend? Because, you know, you kind of want to, it's, it's personal going to the doctor. So, you, you know, I, I, and I look up to her and she was like, you should go see Dr. Corman. She, her family has been GI business for a long time. You obviously have GI issues, blah, 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 blah. So I make an appointment and what, what, Dr. what is GI issues? What is GI? Uh, gastrointestinal. Okay. So okay. I'll get to, I'll get to what they found out. 
Okay. Um, all right. Let me let you let me let you yeah. you know paint the picture. <laughs> so um I go in and have a, a consult with Dr. Corman and she's like, Yeah, yeah, you know, you probably have Crohn's or something, you know, you might have caught something a couple months ago and just can't get by it. She's like, Let's schedule a colonoscopy for you and you know, and it was maybe two or three weeks after the initial consult and I'm just deteriorating like day by day and wow. like I can barely eat. I'm I'm trying to stay hydrated enough, but even then, like I'm drinking and I'm not keeping it down. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to get into the gory details of colonoscopy prep with the audience, but uh, it's not the best thing you've ever done. But I'm yeah. I have to do it that that night because my my I'm scheduled for the next day and I can't like I just I physically cannot. So I call her uh, that morning and I'm like, Yo, uh, Dr. Corman there's no way I can do this. Like I've been up all night. I've been throwing up. Like yeah. she's like, all right, go to suburban hospital. One of my, uh, one of my guys is there in the ER and he'll check you out. So I go and I, and, uh, they admit me, give me some IVs. Cause I'm severely dehydrated. You know, they're all about pain management. They're like, what's your pain? And I'm like right. 10. <laughs> and so they're like, all right, take some of this, take some of that. What's your pain level now? I'm like 10. And then they put me on some more heavy stuff and I'm like nine. And they're like, we need to get you down. So they're like, right. how do you feel about Dilaudid? And I was like, Dilaudid, I don't care, man. Make it go away. Exactly. And uh, so they put Dilaudid in. I felt it go like up my arm, across my back and down my body. And I looked at them and I was like three. And they're like, cool. So right, right, right. I'm sitting there in the ER, you know, wondering what the hell's going on. They're pumping me full of IVs to get, uh, to get me hydrated. And, uh, you know, you just, you're sitting here for hours, not knowing what's going on. They put me in CAT scan they, they do all, the, all these other tests and stuff. And suddenly, uh, suddenly this woman comes in and says, Oh, by the way, you're next in the operating room. And I was like, uh, nah, man, I don't know you. Like, who are you? And she's like, uh, this is serious. You're next. And you know, you're looped up on painkillers and all this stuff. And my girlfriend's like, no, nah, man, you're next. You got to go. And I was like, nah, I'm not going. I was like, call Dr. Corman. So right. Dr. Corman gets on, gets on the phone with me and she's like, yeah, you got to go. I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, all right, cool. Well, at least somebody said like, I got to go that I, that I trusted. They get upstairs to pre-op and here's the funny part. Uh, you know, before you have surgery, you basically sign away that you might die and you can't hold them responsible. But I'm like, I'm thinking while I'm all hopped up on this, I'm like, how's this a legally binding contract? Because I'm signing stuff and I'm totally under the influence at this point, but right. whatever. Uh, I come out of it um, and had a, a great surgeon uh, who I didn't know at that point in time was a great surgeon. Uh, but I come out in the recovery room, my girlfriend's there and and my business partner, John. And uh, I was like, man, what is going on? And uh, I was there for, I don't know how long, in and out of consciousness. Uh, the next day, I remember I'm like, I have my own room. Um, and then Dr. Corman shows up and is like, all right, here's the nuts and bolts of it, man. You have colon cancer, uh, right side colon cancer, which is very odd in somebody of your age. Um, and it was a tumor that was happened to be in the right spot to cause the like pain and the weight loss and all that stuff. Because if it was a couple inches over, yeah. it would have been found much later and it would have been caused way, way bigger problems. So 
I'm like, all oh, right. Wait, so, so what? They told you you had colon cancer. What was your reaction to that? You know, like never probably dealt with cancer before. Like, no. Nah. What was that was, like? Well, how did that feel? Like, what was it? What was going in your mind once they said, "Hey, you have colon cancer"? Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of hip to that. That's what they were gonna say because before yeah. she showed up, they had talked. They had talked to my girlfriend and my business partner. You know, my parents are on the way up. All that stuff. So I, I was, I thought that might be the case. So I can't, it, you still just don't like that word, right? The word like freaks you out. And then I'm like, but so I'm thinking like, all right, so they did surgery, now what? And so they're like, well, the surgery went well, you know, blah, 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 let's, let's see how things go. Here are the next steps, you know? Then it's like, we took 20 something lymph nodes because we have to see if it metastasized. You know, we look, we're going through scans, we're, we're doing blood tests and, uh, I was like, all right, well, what do I have to do to get out of this hospital bed? And they're like, yeah. you know, I got 27, 30 staples in my abdomen. And uh, they're like, you got to get up and walk before anything. And I was like, all right. So basically <laughs> in, in less than in less than two and a half days, I was out of the hospital, which I wish I had gone right, which I wish I had stayed because, you know, it's hard to get out of bed when you're when you're cut open at home because yeah. you don't have handrails to grab on. Um, so I dealt with it because they, within probably 36 hours, they yeah. said, we're pretty confident this is stage one, maybe stage two, uh, but we think we got it early enough because it caused these symptoms. Um, the, and the symptoms were a lot of pain and weight loss, obviously, but it had, was pushing part of my intestine into the, into like the large intestine. So it was kind of deteriorating and eating itself, which causes pain. And then it cut off the appendix. Um, so the appendix, obviously appendicitis is very painful. And so that was really leading to all of this pain. I, I remember saying to my girlfriend in the emergency room, it feels like my stomach is full of battery acid with piranhas swimming around it, biting from the inside while I'm getting hit by a two by four. That's, that was the level of pain. And, uh, so when they said stage one or two, I was, I felt better about things. Yeah. But then you start Googling stuff and it's just a disaster, right? Like WebMD thinks everybody's going to die, you know. Um, Google, Google is that, that rabbit hole that, because it's so much stuff out there, you don't know which one to go with. And, and you open up another page and you're like, what am I, like, you start going crazy. You start going yeah. crazy. So... I got home, um, you know, my, my, my parents and my sister came home from North Carolina. They were there to help. My sister stayed for like a week and a half. Super cool. Uh, I had a ton of support from friends, family, my girlfriend, everybody, you know, like, which is what you need at that point in time because you're, you're second guessing like what's going on. Um, I'm going to pause you real quick. Um, yeah. Matt. So the treatment was just the removal. It was just the surgery. Well, this is what we were waiting on, but yes, ultimately that became, that became it. Uh, we didn't know at the point in time. So, um, you know, they thought stage one or two and stage one is the surgery. Stage two uh, can be a wait and see game or it can be, they start with chemo and possible yeah. radiation. And, you know, right. stage three is both, stage four is they blast you with everything. Um, so I was, I was pretty confident that, whatever my treatment was going to be was not going to be devastating. Okay. So fast forward to 
like a week later, I'm talking to Dr. Corman and she's like, uh, we found some stuff on your liver. Uh, we're concerned about, you have to go to the liver center at Johns Hopkins. You're set up for, you know, five days from now. Wow. So then you start Googling, you want to start, start talk about going down a rabbit hole. You start Googling spots on your liver from colon cancer and liver cancer and how it metastasizes and the liver come to find out is a pretty amazing organ. Like you can, you can cut out pieces of your liver if, if cancer is in certain spots or you have malignant growth or whatever, and the liver just regenerates itself. If it's in right. certain other spots, it's like catastrophic. So I'm reading and I'm like, well, basically I'm 50-50, man. I'm either going to die from this or like I'm in a good spot. So yeah. we go up to Hopkins and I'm like sweating bullets, man. My girlfriend and I go up, meet with this really great team at the liver center at Johns Hopkins the doctor comes in the room uh, and he puts up the, uh, the, the x-rays or I guess they were like the cat scans and x-rays whatever they were and uh, he's like yeah he's like you see these and I was like yeah and uh, what were they called um, I forgot the name of the spots like they have a medical name but I was like so what's that mean He's like, well, they're kind of like little birthmarks on your, on your liver. I was like, not cancer. He's like, no, not cancer. We're like 99% sure. I was like, 99% works for me, doc. Right, so right. Uh, he's like, we'll, we'll watch them, you know, and we'll see what happens. And I was like, cool. And I was like, so what's that protocol? He's like, well, you'll have follow-ups with like an oncologist to make sure. And they'll, they'll look at this and test for certain levels of liver activity and all this stuff. I was like, cool. So right now you're telling me I do not have liver cancer, no metastasization anywhere. They're like, all oh, your lymph nodes are clean, liver is clean. I was like, all right, cool. So back to I own I owned a, a cigar bar and two cigar shops at that point in time. And I'm like, yeah. so let's get to the point of why I'm here. Can I start smoking cigars again? And he's like, dude, no, I can't tell you you can smoke. And my girlfriend's sitting like like I'm sitting on the table. I can see my girlfriend out of my left eye and, and the doc out of my right eye. And she's like, you're going to ask, ask this dude, a doctor, if you can smoke. And I'm like, look, man, it's just, a, it's a, one cigar a week, not cigarettes, like all that. Nothing and he's like, major, I can't tell you you, know, you can it's smoke. Just, it's just one cigar. Yeah. It's like a glass of yeah. wine a night, you know? So, like yeah. So he says, uh, I can't tell you you can smoke. And I was like, well, one cigar is okay. He's like, I can't tell you that you can't that you can smoke but one cigar is better than two which is better than any cigarettes so i was like all right cool We're, we reach an accord i'm good i was like now what about drinking he goes you sir are at the liver center at johns Hopkins university and i went you sir have an excellent excellent point how about i drink less and drink better he goes yeah, i can live with that and i was like me too and i jumped off the bed shook his hand and ran out the door <laughs> and and then that day like right you just had to <laughs> Had to have some. I was ready to sell my wine collection, the whole nine. Right. But like when I went in there, if if he was going to tell me it was cat, it was bordering on catastrophic. I was like ready to sell my wine collection. I had you know five hundred bottles of wine at home. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, knock on wood, I didn't have to. Um, and from that point on, like, you know, we we used to party Everett and the whole group. Um, yeah. we used to do shots all the time and hang out. And I I got back and I was like, look, man. I drink, I drink less, but I drink better. I'm not doing any more shots. Like I do, I do maybe two shots a year now, like on somebody's birthday or whatever, because wow. two shots a year probably is not going to kill you. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, so let, 
that's so basically the journey. Wow, wow. So I have a lot, I, I, my mind is going left, right, <laughs> front, center. So the, um, so whatever happened with the spots, you know, was that, so it wasn't cancer at all. It was just burn no. spots? Okay. Yeah, I, I wish, like I said, I wish I could remember the, the term, um, but uh, they were just like their little blood vessel clusters. It, it's okay. like a birthmark. Yeah. Honestly, like on your skin where, you know, that's, that is caused from uh, some sort of blood vessel um, activity, I guess. Yeah. And uh, so it's just going to, it's part of me. So um, I, I, one thing that stuck out to me, you talked about your support system. You know, what, what did your family, obviously your girlfriend was there every step of the way. How important is it to have that support system during you know, dealing with like the surgery and, and just, just embracing cancer um, during that time. Yeah, it was, uh, but obviously it's super important just for, for the sheer fact of like, you need help getting out of bed, right? Like yeah. you need somebody there to grab your, to grab an arm onto or to help get you back down into bed, like just the most basic stuff. But then you also realize like mentally and emotionally you need that support because you know, as much as we can sit here and I can like laugh about saying, saying stuff. And I, and I am pretty like, I'm a type of person that if it's out of my control, I try not to stress too much about it. Yeah. And this would kind of be out of my control, but it was my life at that point in time. Um, and you're left to your own thoughts sometimes. And you, you know, sometimes the worst creeps in and you need, you need somebody to tell you that's not the actual case. Um, and, you know, having my family's out of town, but having them all come up, uh was cool my business partner came up like the uh the va the doctor the original doctor from the va and her husband came by and visited like some of the local dc chefs came by and dropped food off of my house you know like a week week or two weeks in when i could actually start to eat like regular food again um so everybody just kind of like was cool and pitched in and then you know like where your friends are you know and yeah. and and who you can count on no i I totally agree with that is is that you you really see who shows up for you and you know how much you, you know you're worth to others you know what i mean you got chefs coming you know your family even the doctors you know um i know when i was uh going through it the first time you know um i remember all the faces of the people that came into the hospital but all of the ones that actually you know they made big stances you know um one a group of my friends they actually cut all their hair off because when I had to do chemo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. they said, we're going to cut our hair off. And until you grow your hair back, we're all going to be bald. And it's just, those are the things that help you get through that. Because you mentioned something else, you know, that dark space that you could possibly go into uh, just mentally. Um, how, what did you do to, um, you know, just kind of get past that? Did you, like, how was your mental, you know, state? Did you ever get depressed? I don't think so, because I think everything came fairly quickly, you know, like okay. being out of the hospital within 60 hours, like they were like, you set a record for your recovery and getting out of the hospital and discharged. I was like, yo, I got to go. Um, and then, you know, having people around and then, you know, working through the, whoa, we got to send you to Hopkins, but we can't wait. Even though it was, it was stressful right then, it was better than being like, all right, we're going to wait like three months to get you in and see what happens. Like that would be worse. Like my timeline was quick and sped up. 
and uh, so I didn't have a lot of time to sit there and, and be negative. Yeah. Um, and you had to be positive because you you took the challenge. They said, hey, if you can start walking, you can get out of here. And so you, mentally, you put yourself like, I got to get out of here. So, and I'm sure it yeah. was tough to walk, but you were determined. And that's the determination and the mental state that sometimes you have to put yourself in to push through these uh, um, unexpected, you know, diagnoses, you know, especially like colon cancer, you know. Um, and so now that's, that's really, really amazing. Um, so you talked about civil. I'm a switch. Well, I, Go ahead. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you, you know, about having the positive attitude of getting up and getting out of here. Yeah. So like, uh, there were, there were a number of reasons for that. One is I just wanted to see if I could Two, there's, you know, now modern medicine is like, you know, you get up and you move 20 years ago, they keep you in there for a week before they tell you to get up. Yeah. So I wanted all, I wanted tubes out of me. I wanted all that stuff. So I get up, I remember getting up and, uh, I think it was when Everett and John, my business partner, showed up. And I'm I'm gonna go and do a loop. And you know, I've only been there a day. Yeah. And they they cut me open. Like I should be able to walk. Man, that was the hardest loop around a around that floor. Maybe I went 150 yards. And there was a there was a dude, I swear, was ninety year old, uh like five foot one Asian man. Who had his who had his little rack with his IV bag and he is he's moving along and like ever shows up and he's like, You don't let that old dude like beat your ass. And <laughs> you know, for the people listening, Everett's a mutual friend of ours who's a cancer survivor also. So I gotta laugh at him. And I was like, nah, I'll get him tomorrow. And so that was my challenge was to make sure like I could beat this this dude who was twice my age within the next twenty four hours. And so I got up every couple hours and I, if I did a hundred yards the first time I tried to do 110 yards the second time, then like 150 yeah. yards the third yeah. time and then like 200 yards. And then finally the next day I was like, I saw him and I was like, oh, I'm going to track him down. And I went, yeah. I went blowing past him, you know, blowing past him. I was shuffling just faster than he was, but still. That's that competitive spirit. Uh, I'm going to switch gears. So you talked mm -hmm. about uh, civil, which, you know, um, I miss civil. I'm just going to let you know, you know, uh, yeah, um, I know. We all do. That's that. That was one of the spots. I don't care where you are from. That was the the spot to go to, man. Um, and I think about that competitiveness because now there's other shops. No shade to none of the other shops, but it's not the space that you you know built. You know, um, how'd you come up with that genius atmosphere in Bethesda? Um, I just want to change this topic real quick and and. How did civil start? Was now did civil start after the diagnosis, or this was way before? Oh, it was before. It was like 2010. Well, actually, it goes back to about 2007. Okay. John and I had an idea to do like a cigar bar, and we were looking around the Chinatown area, um, and we started to line up some some investors, and we had drawings done, space fittings. Okay. Okay. We we actually found a space. Um, and we're now fast forward to 2008. We're about 72 hours out from signing a letter of intent on yeah. a lease. And that's kind of exactly when the market tanked and the, the mm. 2008 uh, recession hit. 
Um, so anybody that had any money that like our investors are like, Oh, I can't, um, I can't give you any money. Like I might lose my job. My million dollar house is only worth right. 600 grand, like all of this right, stuff right. and everybody contracted. So we were like, we had, we thankfully had not signed that letter. Like it was a blessing. It, it felt like a curse at that point in time, but it was such a blessing. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, we had to shelve it, you know, we put it on hold and then Chevy Chase Pavilion was wanted to undergo a, a sort of transformation. And it's always been a tough spot up in that area in Friendship Heights. Um, but they wanted to bring in like a cool restaurant, a high end lounge, like that sort of stuff, because that, that, uh, that, that hotel up there is the embassy suites it's like the number two or three embassy suites in the world based on uh occupancy rates right. so you have built-in people there you're you're close to you're right on the maryland line like you're you're on the red line above metro stop like the demographics are good because there's it's an affluent area like all of it seemed to make sense um so we were like yeah we'll be part of this rebranding and uh the first few years were great and then the building just ran into trouble again um and then the restaurant that we were partnered with uh that was doing our food closed and we managed to go another like 18 months out of a out of the smallest kitchen that had no vents or anything wow. but we made it work like we found a way and you know the food the food was enough to keep people there which was which was what we want but to your point like that place was was special because it was nostalgic it was oh, yeah man. To, to your point it was it was super like it was just an inclusive place that, that welcomed everybody and uh you know we talked about initially having a dress code when we opened because you remember like the red glass sexy chairs like all yeah. of it was cool yeah. and i was like we don't need a dress code we, we're building it in such a way that people will know when once they walk in how how they should look and present themselves but still like if you came off the golf course in shorts and you, you know a collared shirt man come on in wear your flip-flops we're cool yeah. you know we were cool with with everybody and everything and we built probably the second largest whiskey collection in the city like everything about it was a cool spot now that, that spot was amazing and it, well, am I being um, too uh, too facetious? And will will civil return? We've been um, we actually before we closed, we were already working on an exit plan because we knew like the building just was not didn't have our back. Um, yeah. And then we left last last fall, and we were working on a plan. We were actively looking for space. And again, this is going to be funny because much like the financial crisis of 2008, we found a space downtown that really was, was good. So we were in the beginning stages of where we were gonna have to fundraise, we were gonna have to do space fit and all this stuff, but we found a space that was probably a, probably a seven and a half or eight out of 10 for us. Okay. Um, and working with a, a commercial real estate broker and still looking at a couple other places while we were really kind of focusing on this. And then, uh, and then COVID started, right? And it was like, I think we found the space around the third week of February, fourth week of February, yeah. right? And we're like, all right, cool. You know, we got in, we saw it. Oh, there's some 
there's this flu thing going around, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like the third week of March hits and everything's shut down. And it's like, whoa. And we, we look back now, it's kind of a blessing that civil closed when it did because there's no consideration for a bar to be open. And that's, you know, you can't smoke indoors, especially when you're dealing with a, a huge respiratory uh, virus, you know. Yeah. Um, you can't put all those people together. And there was nothing else that, that civil did outside of bring people together and make them, yeah. you know, make, make people like it was a sense of community. And that's mm-hmm. great in in. 99% of the times is not great for the last six months. So could it's a it, gift could it come back? Yeah. <laughs> could it come back? Yeah, it could. Uh, might it come back? It would come back in a smaller format uh, with the same sort of, same sort of feeling. Like we would want to replicate yeah. the feeling, uh, but a slightly smaller footprint and probably something with outdoor space because, you know, DC has always loved their outdoors. Uh, mm-hmm. And DC loves their outdoors more. People in general love their outdoors more now. Man, well, there is hope, and and coronavirus is just messing up everything, everything, mm-hmm. everything. And because because I know the the atmosphere that to really enjoy civil, you can't have six feet. You know what I mean? Like that just, yeah. just would look crazy and weird. Um, yeah. But switching gears, I see your background, Cinder. How did that come about? You know, because that's thriving, obviously. Yeah. So this is in uh, this is in the Petworth neighborhood of DC, uh, where I live. Uh, nice. I live about four blocks from the restaurant, and I moved here. We bought our house in 2015. Uh, this is on Upshur Street. Upshur Street has always had like a couple cool little restaurants or or bars. Yeah. Uh, and then as more people moved to the neighborhood, and there became some more mixed use things. Uh, a couple more places uh, opened up. And so this place on the corner of 8th and Upshur was a restaurant, a little wine, South American wine bar that we used to go to. Right. And then we heard, unfortunately, it was closing. Um, build outs, nothing fancy. You know, it was some exposed brick, a big square bar in the center, uh, some basic wooden tables and chairs. And, uh, and so... Um, I brought John and, and our pitmaster, our other partner now, Bill in. Bill had a catering company for 16 years. And uh, he also did barbecue on Monday nights at Civil for us. Um, okay. Yeah, for Monday night tailgates, for Monday night football. And so I was like, hey, guys, we have the opportunity to do like a bourbon and barbecue bar here. Uh, and it seemed to, seemed to work. Um, you know, anytime you open a restaurant, you think it's going to work. And majority of the times it actually doesn't uh but this one has this one has stuck um the neighborhood has embraced us we embrace the neighborhood because obviously i'm part of it yeah um we hired people from the neighborhood uh it's just a good community vibe and when covid hit um much like everybody we were terrified for our existence and we were like what can we do barbecue everybody thinks barbecue lends itself to carry out but barbecue, if it's done right, loses its integrity fairly quickly. Um, so we had to figure out, like, what can we do to keep the integrity for carryout? So come to find out, like, everybody is has been sent home from their office. They're all working remotely. So everybody in the neighborhood lives within 10 minutes of here. So we're good, right? right? Exactly. 
um, and the neighborhood comes out in droves and supports us. And super fortunate that we have these like windows that open up completely to the street, about 30 feet long. So we were able to have social distancing from the jump. Uh, you can come up to different parts of the window. You could buy a bottle of whiskey. You could buy beers. You could get food. You could call ahead and place orders. You could come if you needed to escape, you know, your kids that were driving you crazy because you were stuck in a house. You could walk down, place your order, and then walk back home. Um, and then we expanded our delivery capacity with, you know, select partners that we thought were best suited for our needs. And uh, it's been great. Um, you know, it's not, it's been as great as possible. Let's yeah, put it that way. I mean, uh, we'd still love to open the restaurant and have people in here. Yeah. And DC has given us the ability to, but we feel that we're not, we're not there um, in terms of opening the restaurant to let people in one, this is a big family neighborhood and it doesn't seem like there's a cry from the neighborhood to open inside, yeah. which varies from what you see down on like 14th street, U street, Adams Morgan, like, man, people are like crazy down there. Yeah. Uh, and two, we, we did have uh, one of our bartenders tested positive. So we had to shut down, get everybody tested, clean the place, you know, Yep. And we were already masked and gloved up before DC implemented all that. So we were, we were taking our precautions. And so she tested positive and was the only one that actually tested positive. Wow. So our, our safety measures worked uh, for the rest Thank of the God. staff. But, but we just feel like we don't want to put any of our, our employees in that position because they're not all comfortable having people inside and we support them. So we're like, this is working for us. It's working for, you know, it, it's keeping the restaurant afloat. Uh, you know, we're not banking a bunch of money, but uh, it's keeping it afloat. We haven't laid anybody off. So we'll just roll with it how, how we can for now. Well, I just want to commend you because, you know, um, a lot of, lot of places are closing. You know, a lot of places are not surviving. But the one thing that stuck out to me when you were talking is that it's the community. You know, you hired within the community. The community speaks and you guys deliver. And so whatever format works for for you guys. Yeah, it may not be a lot of money now. Pray, praying fully we'll get out of this, but it works for Cinder and the Cinder family. So shout yeah. out to you for that. And the other the other thing that, that I felt we had to do immediately was try to figure out a way to get food to people that needed it. Also, yeah. you know, like a like a charity arm. And Hook Hall is a big beer hall down the street. And they partnered with the Restaurant Association and a bunch of vendors, and they did this program called Hook Hall Helps. And it was specific to uh, hospitality industry people because obviously that industry had been decimated. Yeah. And so we didn't have the infrastructure to actually put out a bunch of meals and, and have people come by. Hook Hall was doing it daily. I mean, they were feeding hundreds of people. And so we were there in support. We were like, okay, cool. Here, we're going to drop off. Uh, meals for 40 people we're gonna drop off yeah. meals for 50 people we're gonna you know what we don't have enough food here now but how many people do you have on staff okay we're gonna feed your staff members for the day like yeah. we worked with them and then uh, we partnered with dc uh child and family services and sponsored four families for like two months and, wow. and they would come by and pick up food for the week for their families wow um so we, and then to the credit of 
you know, of our customers and the neighborhood, we put, we put a food donation button on, uh, on our website. So if you order online, you can click a food donation and then, and then buy your own food. Uh, and people were just doing that without question. They were like food donation, food donation, food donation. And so we've done stuff with the VA hospital. We did stuff for Georgetown hospital. Um, you know, we've done a lot of stuff and, and I, we were fortunate to be in a position to be able to do that. We had supported the community to do it. We also decided that like, if we're making a couple dollars, we should probably try to give that back to somebody who isn't making anything, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned it about support and community. Like we, we try to be uh, as good a stewards as we can be. No, you are doing it. And, that, and that's amazing that, you know, you, you are not only willing to make that sacrifice, but to really give back because these are some challenging times, you know, and we don't, we don't, uh, we don't take, we take for granted that a, a meal goes a long way. And so, you know, um, and I'm gonna put it out there. Like, I appreciate you for partnering with Positive Deposits and how we're going to, you know, go to the Howard Cancer Center to, you know, help them and, you know, help feed them, their staff, because that's important. You know, they're on the front lines, they're helping people. They may not get them in, in and out as fast as you did, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they're there daily, you know, giving these patients that attention. And just when I, when I, I know it's a, it's a lot of work because everybody's walk is different. Everybody has a different, you know, uh, headspace, but every, they train them so well that they can work with anybody. And so I, I want to say thank you in advance, you know, um, for uh, partnering with us to, to, to continue what you're already doing in the, in the community. Oh, yeah. So um, well, I think, I, I think we also, you know, when we, when we first talked about it and came up with the idea, I think I mentioned like the COVID responders were, were getting all the love. Right. And as well, they should, because they were dealing with stuff that had never been seen before and they're trying to save lives. But, and I don't know how to say it without sounding negative, but sometimes like the cancer board might've gotten forgotten in a donation. And, and that's not to take away from any work that anybody did. Like I, I applaud everybody that has taken this on and done heroic work across the board. Yeah. But now I think, you know, we've reached a, a level somewhat, at least locally, a level of moderation and stability. And now it's time to refocus back on, on like the cancer, the cancer center, the cancer ward and, and give those people their, their due um, because they were getting it at some point and then they got, kind of got lost in the shuffle because something new came along. And let's not forget the work that they do because without those people, you know, you and I might not so might not be here. Man, that's powerful what you just said. And so, Matt, we get we're uh man, this has been great, man. Like um, I, I felt like I, I we're closer. We're I mean, we were already close, you know. What I mean, just be because of Everett and just civil and barcode the whole nine. But and I wish I was drinking that good uh, whiskey that you're drinking, you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, one of the things that's so unique about positive deposits is that we transform minds and change lives. So, you know, as we get to the end of this, this show, I, I always ask every guest, I, I need three positive deposits, three positive encouraging things that, you know, even if you are in and out of surgery to, to, to um, help build their hope and inspiration, what, what are three things that you would tell 
someone listening that's listening into it this uh, episode. And that's a that's a good one. Uh, how about one is find a challenge for for yourself. Mm. Don't shy away from it and take it on. Yeah. Like that would that's that was me with the with the guy who was twice my age beat me beat me around the hospital. You know, like I, I found something that I thought I could do. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't out of my realm. I didn't know it would it would happen that quickly, but it did. Um, but I didn't set an outlandish goal of like, hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be out playing golf in right. next week. Right. You know, like that's uh, not real. Um, another positive is like, kind of, in, I guess it's kind of what we do already. It's like embrace the uh, embrace the community around you. Uh, and, and the support around you because, and the support isn't necessarily just the people you know, like we don't know our customers. Yeah. Um, we know a lot of them, but we don't know everybody that made a donation. Uh, and we have embraced the whole neighborhood, the, the whole community, and that way we've all become better. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think I think the, the timely the timely thing is in what's going on what's going on these days uh, is like just remember to that everybody's a human, everybody has a story, yeah. and everybody needs to be treated with respect and some sort of some sort of love and just go with it. Man, now. Those, that's a great challenge yourself. Embrace the community and that love, man. Just like my t-shirt. You know what I mean? This is his exclusive. You know, um, I'm going to have to get you one. I got to get you one. Yeah. Um, yo, Matt, man, um, you know, thank you so much, man, for this time. If we want to support Cinder, how can we find you? Do you have Instagram? Are you Facebook? How can we, you know, come support, you know, your business? Yeah, so... Uh... We're at cinderbbq.com. You can order online. Uh, it's the best way. We, we have 16 seats on our patio. Um, we love that people come on the patio. Uh, but with 16 seats, it can get a little uh, a little crowded. Um, and we can't have people stand. You know, we literally follow the, the law to a T. Um, so we encourage people to, to order online. Uh, we are our delivery partners, our, our DoorDash and Caviar, um, if you can't make it down. And, um, yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook under Cinder BBQ. Uh, we post lots of bottle shots of cool whiskey okay. Uh, okay. and food also. And then uh, there'll be pictures, actually, of uh, next Thursday when we're doing the donations. Like, people love to see that, that we're so active in the community and making yeah. donations. And, yeah. and being that Howard's right down the street, like, I, I thought it was great that you were able to put that together. So thanks for doing that. No, no problem. So you heard it, go to Cinder BBQ, Instagram, Facebook, the website, donate a meal to someone. That's an awesome initiative. And of course, you can find us at positivedeposits.org. Um, go on the website. We have, you can test this podcast and the video live from the website. Also donate to the cause. Um, we have the donation button. We partnered up with the Oral Leaf Foundation. So that's another uh, amazing organization. You can donate to either one of us. 
And, you know, with that being said, Matt, I appreciate you being here. And for those that don't know, you will know that Positive Positive is here to stay. And we're only here to transform minds and change lives. Until next time.